Good morning, everyone. A little nasally, I'm getting over a cold, so bear with me. Um, turn it, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy. We are going to start in chapter 3. I'm going to present verse 16 and 17, and then we're going to jump all the way back to chapter 1, verse 1, and work our way through to get some context. This is going to be a very unusual message for me. It is not my style. For those of you who have been here and heard me before, unlike Steve, um, usually I take an Old Testament passage and we work our way through it. I give you background and history and try and get you into that, con into that time. We're going to be in the New Testament. And Lord willing, in the weeks, months, years to come, we are going to work our way through 2 Timothy. Uh, it's my goal to take us all the way through 2 Timothy one way or another, whether it be verse by verse or chapter by chapter or in a block of time or over years, I don't know. But I think there's a lot in here that we need to get. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Most of you are familiar with this. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this text today. I thank you for what it has already done in my heart. And Father, I pray that as you have promised that your word is alive, it's powerful, it pierces, it discerns, it changes us. And Father, I pray that you would take our hearts today, as hard or soft as they may be, and that you would pierce them with your truth, that your word would reign here, that your spirit would come upon us in a way that we've never experienced before. That we can get a glimpse of what your heartbeat is out of this text and apply it to our lives, change where we need to, and love others as we need to as well. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you will, start with me in chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to highlight a few things as we wander through this. We are not going to camp on any section for any length of time. Hopefully we'll get through the entire book today, just as an overview. Before I start, I always miss things, so I want to give you some key words, in case I forget to point them out as we go through. Even though they're in my notes, I tend to get carried away and I miss some of the things in my notes. Uh, I want you to look for the words shame, suffer, and persecution, and fear. Okay? Four negative words. I also want you to look for grace, mercy, love, convinced, power, self-control. We're also going to look at five different phrases that you will not necessarily see the specific word, but the concepts will be there. God's sovereign control, spirit power, Jesus Christ, Messiah in promises kept, and Lord all-powerful. So let's jump into verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Before we begin, any further, who is writing this letter? First word, Paul. He's writing to Timothy, but he says this is Paul writing to you. He's, ad he's addressing who he is. And the very next phrase, he is a what? An apostle. Why does Paul tell Timothy he's an apostle? Doesn't Timothy already know who he is? Why does Paul introduce this letter as, hey, Timothy, this is Paul, remember me, an apostle? Do you think Timothy forgot who he was? As we go through the book of Acts with Steve, we're going to see that Paul and Timothy spent significant time together. Timothy does not need to be reminded of who Paul is and the miracles that were done through Paul. So why does Paul specifically state right here he's an apostle? Establishes authority. Not necessarily for Timothy, but for those in Timothy's church, and more importantly for us, those that are coming later, the pe other people that will read it. Paul was not just a believer. He was not simply a Christian. He was an apostle with authority. And the authority came by the will of Paul or somebody else? What does it say? By the will of God. Paul did not establish himself an apostle. 
He did not go to seminary and get his doctorate degree and say, hey, I'm an apostle now. This came by an act by the will of God, according to, and I refer to this in a confession I led a few weeks ago, a promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Charles, thank you for going back to promises today. I've been enthralled with promises that God has been making to us and we ignore or we forget or we minimize. We'll be addressing some of that later. What is this promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus? What does that include? And these are, these are Paul's opening remarks. He's setting the stage for what this letter is going to be about. So this is important for us to know. What is this promise of life that is in Christ Jesus? Is it just have a good life? Is it a life of pleasure and ease? Eternal life? What else? It's more than just eternal life. Does it deal with resurrection and power? Yeah. Remember as Steve started the book of Acts, we looked at the end of each of the four Gospels, and a promise was made. Jesus was given something regarding power. All power. How much is all power? All power. Nothing happens that is outside of Jesus' control. Right? And his will. And his purpose. Everything. Your drive to worship here today was guided by Jesus himself. The guy that cuts you off, the traffic light that turns just as you're at that make or break point and you decide to step on the gas and go through or hit the brakes really hard and give everybody whiplash that's riding with you. Whatever happened, that was all under God's control. So Paul is setting up here for Timothy, for us, this authority. God's sovereignty, God's in control, it's God's will. Paul is an apostle and he's dealing with the miraculous under God's authority. Speaking of the miraculous, did you know me being right here at this moment is a miracle? It's a miracle. Every Sunday morning that Steve stands up here and shares the word of God with us, it's a miracle. We are human. We, by nature, are haters of God. We never want to say anything nice about God to at base level, nothing nice at all, let alone speak his truth. But Sunday morning after Sunday morning, when the word of God is preached, it is a miracle. So right now you are all participants of a miracle. God doesn't have to do this. It's a miracle. He chose to. So verse 2. To Timothy, my beloved child. It's not just a student that he had not somebody he simply went on missionary journeys with. He treats Timothy not just as a child, but a beloved child. He's had an emotional bond with him. There's a, an intimate relationship. So he's writing to Timothy, his beloved child. We'll get more on that later. And he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Three things. Grace. What is Grace. Something we don't deserve from God. What is mercy? It's not getting what we do deserve. Okay? And peace. Three things. Give me the biblical example of peace here. Because it's from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's just not no strife. What is peace? Think Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no enemies. Not only will I not fear them, but I know they're camped ready to kill me, and I'm going to sit down and feast with God. That's peace. Confidence in God. Confidence in, verse 1, God's sovereignty, God's control, God's plan. So Paul is telling Timothy, before you get into the rest of this letter, Timothy, you are going to need grace, you're going to need mercy, and you're going to need peace. Because times are tough, they're going to get tougher, you need grace, mercy, and peace. By the way, every letter that I looked at from Paul opens with grace and peace. 
This is the only one that I saw that includes mercy. Verse 3. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. There's a ton of stuff in here. We're not going to take time to deal with all of it today. Um, I want to go back to verse 4. As I remember your tears, why do you think Timothy was crying? Think he had a bad day? Think he had a flat tire in the middle of a rainstorm and got stuck in a ditch? Think of the context that we have so far. What would cause Timothy to have tears? Possibly problems in the church. I think this is dealing more with his prior to that in his younger years. Verse 5. Who does Timothy remind him about? His mother and grandmother who was not there. His father, we will see as we study the book of Acts, that his father was not a believer. Why do you think Timothy might have had tears? Think there may have been tension? An unbelieving father, a believing grandmother, believing mother, Timothy believing? You think there may have been tension? Think there may have been tears? Think there may have been tears of repentance on Timothy's sake? Maybe believing what his father believed and his conversion? I want to remind you, back up in verse 2, what does Paul call Timothy? His son, my beloved son, my child. So even though Timothy may have not had a believing father, God provided Paul to be a believing father, influence for him, figurehead. Make sense? Everybody's tracking with me? Looks like everybody's falling asleep already. So, Paul is telling him, I have become your father. I am leading you. I am directing you. I am giving you everything you need, Timothy, as a father, so that you, as a man, when you mature, can be a mature Christian. Okay? I remember those tears you had. I was there. I helped you through. Now, jumping back down to verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Why, first off, why would he need to fan the flame? When do you need to fan a flame? When do you need to fan coals? To get them going again, when they diminish. So you see here with Timothy, the coals have diminished. What does he need to do? What does Timothy need to do? He needs to fan them. He needs to breathe gospel back into them, which is exactly what Paul is doing to Timothy. Timothy, I'm going to give you gospel. Fan the flame. Apply this to your life. Take it to heart. I know the Spirit is there down at the end of uh, back verse 7. I know the Spirit is there, and it is a spirit of what? What kind of spirit is it? It's a spirit of power. Can power fan a flame? Yeah. It's not a spirit of fear. So we're introduced here to a concept. One of the key words I wanted you to look for. Fear. Who does not struggle with fear? Nobody even raised their hand because you're afraid to raise your hand. We all struggle with fear. We're afraid of what people are going to think of us all the time. Brian, I have to pick on you. Thanks for being here today. Try not to hurt Brian. He is a Cowboys fan. They are 2-0. Better than being a Bears fan. But <clears throat> If you're a 
Cowboys fan, and it is the playoff game with the Cowboys and the Eagles, are you going to go to the Eagles stadium wearing all your Cowboy gear and say, this is going to be a good game. I'm going to have a great time. Everybody's going to love me. People are going to be buying me a beer, hot dogs, pretzels, whatever. It's going to be great. Win or lose, it's going to be a great game. If you're that Cowboys fan, Brian, and you go to that Eagles game for the championship, what will Brian expect to have happened to him at Eagles Stadium? Yeah, yeah. You think there's going to be persecution? Do you think there's going to be some hatred? you think he's going to be hearing people saying things that we won't repeat here today? Before he even gets there, parking his car, the parking attendant's going to see his shirt through the window and it's going to begin. Driving down the Schuylkill Expressway, somebody's going to see him. It's going to happen. We know it's going to happen. If the Cowboys were to win, how would they treat Brian on the way out of the stadium? Will he get out? I'm not going to mention Santa Claus scenario, although I kind of just did. We know what Eagles fans are like, right? We all fear. That's for football. Which, by the way, doesn't really matter. Paul is telling Timothy, verse 7, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power. And it doesn't end there. It's power, love, and self-control. So if I were an Eagles fan, which I am not, I'm not going to say I'm a Patriots fan, but if I were an Eagles fan and I was down next to Brian, if indeed I was wearing my Patriots shirt, which I probably would do, and I saw Brian if I was really controlled with self-control and love and I saw them attacking Brian, what should I do as a Patriots fan? Shouldn't I stand up and say, whoa, 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 whoa. I like Tom Brady. Would that not free him? Then the hatred would go towards me because I would love my son-in-law and would not want him to be persecuted more. It's love. By the way, I do not like Tom Brady. I'm a Patriots fan from back when I was a kid when they had this really cool insignia thing of an American Patriot down in a three-point stance and he was all beefed up and everything. It's the only reason I like the Patriots. Anyway, that's football. We're talking eternity. We're talking God. We're talking the spirit realm. We're talking things that matter. Verse 7 again. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of love, power, and self-control. By the way, I feel a little bit like a, uh, like a man taking you guys out rabbit hunting. I don't know if you've ever gone rabbit hunting. Uh, I did some hunting a little bit when I was younger. We had a dog that we would take with us, and the dog would go in and chase the rabbits out, and then we could shoot, hopefully, the rabbit, not the dog. But the rabbits would go in these burrows and these little areas you couldn't get to, so you would send the dog in and he would chase them out. But there's all these holes and all these paths through the meadows, and I wouldn't know which one to follow. They were all rabbit trails. But the dog could smell the rabbit, could smell which ones were fresh, so he would know where the rabbit was, and he would, if it was a good hunting dog, go after him. My dog was not a good hunting dog. But... The point is, I feel like the guy, like my dad at the time, taking me out and saying, now here's all the rabbit trails. Just don't go chasing a rabbit trail. Send in the dog. Let the dog get the rabbit out. So, don't take it personally. I'm trying to treat you guys as dogs. I want to show you some rabbit trails in this text. And I want to say, there's a rabbit trail. See, there's a burrow hole right there. There's one over there. There's one over there. There's another rabbit hole over here. Hey, Steve, check out that rabbit hole over there. And I want you guys, tonight, tomorrow, next week, next month, to be reminded this text 
So yeah, there was that rabbit trail that really intrigued me. I'm going to go dig in there. Find those rabbits. Other places they're called nuggets of truth. Gems. Today I'm just going to call them rabbits. I want you guys to go through this text with me today. Find these rabbit trails that I'm going to point out to you. And go explore them. We don't have time to get into them all today. I don't know if we'll ever have time to get into them all. Because I started going down a few of them and my head was spinning. Spend some time in God's word. Start in 2 Timothy. Be reminded of one of these rabbit trails that I'm going to point out to you. Like the spirit not of love, but of power. Or excuse me, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Start tracking down some of these rabbit trails. What kind of love is this? What kind of self-control? What is this power all about? Dig into them. If you get a chance, shoot me a text. Say, yeah, Rusty, I followed this rabbit trail. Thanks. It was great. It was awesome. Verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but sharing suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. We're going to take a break right there. <clears throat> what is Paul telling Timothy not to do? What did Paul warn Timothy not to do? Don't be ashamed. Another key word. Don't be ashamed. Ashamed is another word of fear. Don't be ashamed. Don't fear. What's there to be ashamed of? Why is Paul why does Paul not want Timothy to be ashamed? Yes, previous passage. God gave us a spirit not of fear or being ashamed, but of power, love, and self-control. First verse we read, who is in control? Who is sovereign? God or the item we fear? It's kind of a no-brainer, right? God's in control. So God brings this situation into our lives, whatever that situation may be, an Eagles game wearing a Cowboys jersey or to make a funny out of it, or whatever, an opportunity at work to stand up and speak the gospel, God brings these situations into our lives for a purpose. Paul is reminding Timothy, God is doing this. Don't be afraid. What's their fear? Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of my testimony about the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but... Share in the suffering. In the illustration I gave about Brian, I'm going to wear a Patriots jersey. I'm going to share in that suffering. I'm going to raise my hand and say, Yoo-hoo, Patriots, right here. Tom Brady fan, right? Bring me some of that suffering. Why? Does it relieve some of the suffering from Brian? Yes. Is it loving to Brian? Yes. And in the eternal spiritual spectrum, it does the same thing. If I'm hanging out with Reagan and we're talking the gospel and somebody starts harassing Reagan about the gospel, what should I do? Should I just back off and say, this one's yours, Reagan? Sorry, buddy. I need to jump in. I need to support Reagan. I need to share in that suffering. It's loving to Reagan and it's loving to those who are persecuting him Because now I get to, as we will see later, I will get to bring the gospel of love to Reagan and the gospel that we saw Peter do in Acts chapter 1 and 2 to those who are mocking and persecuting. Uh, Yeah, there's so many suffering things in here. Let me start verse 8 again. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So many rabbit trails, guys, there. There's just <sighs> Do yourself a favor and look up a few of these, these holy calling concepts. And the work that was done, it was not for us. It's not for my purpose. 
but he's linking back to the very beginning when he said he was an apostle by the will of God. This is God's purpose in verse 9, that he did this for his purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This is all part of the perfect plan that God had from before creation. Okay? So Paul is making a link here to what he is teaching Timothy and before creation. So, how did God create? What did he do? Did he get out his tinker toys and make a little model and think about it? And What did God do? He spoke. He spoke. All right, a little anatomy lesson. When you speak, what comes out? Noise and bad breath. Especially if you're with Steve when he's drinking coffee. Breath comes out and noise, right? Remember that. Uh, verse 10. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. By the way, that's going right back up to the promise of life. You see that link? For which I was... What's that word there? Verse 11. How was Paul selected to be this preacher, apostle? He was appointed. When we get into this in uh, the book of Acts, we will see that Paul did not really have much choice in the matter. He was appointed. Paul was chosen by God. Okay? <clears throat> For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I, key word again, suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and, I, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So we see some contrast here. Suffering and ashaming, contrast with believing and convinced. What's the belief and convinced clinging to? The end of verse 12. What's been entrusted to Paul? What has been entrusted to Paul? Put it in our words. The gospel. The gospel. Which, if you remember the last couple messages, maybe the last three messages Steve has shared with us, the apostles were in the, I was going to say the upper room, but they were in a room right after Pentecost. Spirit came. What were they talking about for days and days and days, nonstop? Do you remember? Promises? What else? Kingdom of God. God's promises, kingdom of God, doctrine, gospel, right? The very thing that Paul has been entrusted to here, which is what he's been proclaiming, and which is why he is suffering as he does. But he is not ashamed, for he knows who he has believed in and is convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to him. So, verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you heard from me in faith and love that are Christ Jesus. What are those sound words? The gospel. Follow the gospel. Don't just hear it. Don't just say it. Believe it and live it. Okay, Paul is really, really, you'll see it over and over and over again here. Hopefully I can get it in through to you, that Paul is really driving into Timothy. It's not enough to know it. It's not enough to say it. It's not enough to teach it. You need to be living it. It needs to be part of who you are. You need to be breathing this. Which, by the way, is a miracle. It's done only by the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who, who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onis Onisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. 
But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant to him mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. We're not going to get into that whole section. We'll save that for a later time. I want to remind you that, or point out to you, verse 16 and 18, he wants mercy to be granted two different occasions. He says, may God grant mercy to Onesiphorus for the ministry that he did there. <clears throat> Chapter 2. You then, my child, Timothy specifically, us as well, be strengthened by what? Grace. Do we deserve grace? No. Is it a miracle that we get grace? Yes. You then, my child, be strengthened by grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul keeps taking Timothy back to the power of Christ, the resurrection power, the life that is in Christ. Verse 2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. By the way, that rabbit hole scenario that I'm giving you, that's kind of, this verse is kind of where that's coming from. I want to share the gospel with you. Here's some key words, some key phrases, some rabbits, some, some nuggets of truth. Go find them. Be faithful. Get into the word and find them. <clears throat> verse 2 again. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Sharing in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You see the suffering phrase again? Uh, Linda sent me a text this morning of the guards at, I just drew a blank, the, uh, down in Arlington. The Unknown Soldiers, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers, which by the way is an incredible fascinating story to find out how that got established. I uh, had an opportunity to, to listen to a book about it a couple months ago. It's fascinating. Well, to me, anyhow, I'm a history buff. But the guards, there's all these requirements. You need to be like 5'10 to 6'2, 30-inch waist or smaller, so I'm out. But they walk. There's so many steps, 21 steps that they have to take. The gun has to be on the same. Then you switch sides of the shoulder. It has to be away from the tomb for, to guard. doesn't matter. It's 24-7, rain, snow, whatever. It, it's fascinating, the the discipline that these guys have. It was pointed out in the article that in one of the hurricanes, Washington was being shut down. Everything was closing. They told the soldiers, stay in. It is not safe. And the soldiers refused because it was such an honor to be on that honor guard. So in the middle of a buffering, I think it was a downgraded to a tropical storm at that time, but this hurricane, the tropical storm with all these winds, and these guys are still at their post because it was such an honor to guard this tomb of the unknown soldier. And I read that, I'm thinking, oh, I think I read it this morning. Did you send it this morning, last night? <clears throat> I was reading through it this morning. I'm like, Paul talks about us being a soldier. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I don't want to go walk that temple, the tomb. Hurricane, are you kidding me? I'm inside. And it's not like they're guarding the president or Fort Knox. It's very ceremonial. There's dead bodies. They don't even know who these bodies are. Unknown soldier. It's very ceremonial. Just walking. 21 steps, turn, 21 steps. Over and over and over and over and over again. Nobody's coming. What's there to guard? And yet they, these guys felt it was such an honor they would not leave in the midst of a hurricane. And I think about myself and how many times I've had the opportunity to share the gospel. Just a word. Just a challenge. Hey, dude, you're thinking wrong. Did you consider this verse, this verse, this verse? Even with a believer. And I back away. Fear. These soldiers, the ones in this story with the unknown tomb, tomb of the unknown soldier, no fear. Hurricane? It's an honor. Do we consider serving God an honor? Uh, very convicting for me. Verse 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits 
since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Can you imagine a soldier guarding the president? Whether you like the president or not is irrelevant. You're guarding the president, you're guarding the general, you're on the battlefield. Your job is guard your life, whatever it takes. I'm sorry, I, I, I can't take that bullet for you today, sir. I got a splinter. I didn't eat breakfast. Kind of hungry. Went hit McDonald's. Sorry, dude. You're on your own. It's absurd. And yet, don't we get just as distracted from God? What doesn't distract us from God? Anybody ever get distracted with social media? Yeah, kind of all of us are there, aren't we? Distracted by, oh, squirrel, right? I mean, do we love God or not? Paul continues, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Verse 8. <clears throat> Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Does that sound familiar? Back to verse 1, chapter 1. The power, the offspring of David. What does that do to the Jewish hearers, although this was primarily Gentiles? What will that do to the Jewish hearers? The offspring of David. Who is the offspring of David? Messiah, the promised Messiah. Back to Charles's uh, leading us in confession this morning. Promise making, promise keeping God. Right? You with me? As preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. I think, uh, Steve, one of the first message series you did was in the book of Philippians. Paul was chained, a prisoner. He counted it joy because he was preaching the gospel to who? Do you remember? The soldiers. The guys that were chained to him. Oh, I'm in jail? I'm rotting in prison? Great! You're chained to me? You can't get away? <laughs> yeah. You get to hear the gospel 24-7. So can't you hear Paul restating that right here? But the word of God is not bound, even though I'm suffering and bound with chains as a criminal. By the way, are we bound? I didn't see any of you coming in with chains tied to you today. Verse 10, Therefore, I endure everything for who? The sake of the elect. Who's the elect? Who was Paul suffering for? Is it for himself? Was it for Timothy specifically? By the way, if you claim to be a believer, this is for you. Paul's suffering was for you, the sake of the elect. That, the purpose statement, that they also may attain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Linking back up to verse 1 of chapter 1, the power of the resurrection, power of Christ, power of the life in Christ. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Verse 13. When I led us in confession a few weeks ago, I had asked people to share with me some promises that they clung to. I had three people share with me. Two of them were basically this verse. He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. Even though... We at times, most of the time, are faithless. He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Verse 14. <clears throat> Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearer. By the way, verse 14. Remind them of these things. That's exactly what I'm doing with you guys today. I'm reminding you of these things. And what's he say about quarreling with, about words? Makes two comments about quarreling about words. Does it do any good? No. What else does it say about it? Ruins those who listen. If every time we see Brian, we harass Brian about being a Cowboys fan, guess what he's going to do to us eventually? 
It's not even going to listen to us anymore. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. It's not even going to listen to us. Ah, Rusty, man, all he does is harass me about being a Cowboys fan. <sighs> Sick of it. All you guys ever do is pick on me for being a Patriots fan. I'm just sick of it. It's pointless. And it's not even stuff that matters. It does no good. Verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, but rightly handling the word of God. <clears throat> Key word in there. Rightly handling the word of God. Anybody can handle a word. And I find in my history, usually I didn't handle it rightly. The story was the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. That means I can cut myself before I cut you because it's got a sharp edge on both sides. And I probably should have cut myself several times with it. But I was too stupid then. But we need to handle God's word rightly. The truth, we need to handle it rightly. Psalms tells us, or Proverbs tells us, thy word is truth psalms psalm 119 thy word is truth by the way god's word god's word is truth alone it's not truth with something else there's not something else that is just as truthful it's not god's word end it's god's word so we need to handle god's word rightly verse 16 and steve i think next time you're away i'm going to spend time in this verse but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. What is irreverent babble? Any ideas? I'll give you a clue. Patriots are going to beat the Eagles. Irreverent babble. I'll give you another clue. I like Chick-fil-A salads. It's a reverend babble. Here's one I heard recently. You know how to get rid of a telemarketer? It's your reverend babble. What has Paul been telling Timothy all the way up to this point, chapter 2, verse 16? What has Paul been encouraging Timothy to be spending time in, to be learning, to be sharing, to be consumed by, to be living out, to have part of his life. What's that? The gospel. Doctrine. Truth. Who cares if I like Chick-fil-A salads? Is that going to save anybody? Who cares about the football games? I did something crazy back in August. You guys shouldn't be surprised. I do crazy, stupid stuff all the time. I did an endurance run, a six-hour endurance run. We ran for six hours nonstop. It's crazy. By the way, I walked 99% of it. It was something fun to do with Ryan and Caitlin and around Phoenixville. And it, it was different. It was fun. It was, it was neat. I'll probably do it again sometime. Probably won't run the whole thing. That's crazy. One guy was super fast, and it was, it was unreal. But it, it was fun. That's your reverent babble. God's word is in contrast to irreverent babble. My challenge out of this one, when we close the service today, by, by the way, Hopefully I don't go too far down this rabbit trail. It's a great rabbit trail for you guys to get into. Big whole rabbit trail. Like this is a big one. Why do we come here today? What should the purpose be? Starts with a W. Worship. Worship. Worship what? Chapter 1, verse 1. Sovereign God. Promise of resurrected life in Christ, right? We're supposed to be worshiping God, the Almighty, the Sovereign One, who's created a miracle allowing us to be here and to even think positively about Him. 
to consider him and to honor him and glory in him, that's a miracle in and of itself, we should be here to share that with others. So when we say the final prayer, sing the final song, give the final announcement, everybody is ready to disperse today. What do you think our conversation should be? Should it be about the text that we just studied? Whether it be me leading or Steve or when Andrew was filling in? Or should it be about where we have to go after service? What do you think our conversation should be about? Can I give you a clue? If it's not about doctrine, gospel, if it's not about, wow, I never saw that first. Hey, did you see this verse? I read this a million times. I ne- that applies to me? Oh, I didn't put those two ideas together. I never saw that contrast. Oh, that's awesome. If it's not something like that, it's irreverent babble. And it goes to say it will lead people into more and more what? Our irreverent babble encourages more irreverent babble, more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Yeah, it's nasty stuff. You gotta cut that out. Surgically, you just you gotta remove gangrene. It's death. Among them are, and he gives examples, Hymenius and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands. Bearing the seal, the Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Uh, We're going to skip down to verse uh, 22. So, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Didn't we kind of talk about some of those at the beginning? Paul is kind of recycling this or regurgitating it. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Talk with other believers. Encourage other believers. Verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish Ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Irreverent babble. He needs to be able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. By the way, correcting is not arguing, it's sharing gospel, doctrine, truth. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses, that cracks me up, they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Chapter 3. But understand this. By the way, who has Paul been talking to? Timothy and us, the church, right? Believers. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Where will that difficulty come from? Is Paul jumping to outside the church? Is Paul jumping to politics and world crises and all these decisions that governments make? Or is he talking about within the church? He is still within the church. For understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty within the church. For people within the church will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, what are we to do with them? 
avoid such people. How did they get to be that way? These are some nasty words. Lord willing, we get a chance to uh, delve into some of these words and unpack some of that for you. This is a nasty way to describe people. I mean, some of my lost co-workers I wouldn't describe with some of these words. Paul is saying this is in the church. Like here? Like us? Like me? How, how do we get to be this way? Previous verses? Like chapter 2, verse 16? Your reverent babble? Times when I was speaking and somebody should have shared the gospel with me and corrected me? Straightened me out? Times when one of you may have been speaking and I would have had the opportunity to share the gospel? Correct? teach and wouldn't have because we were afraid we were shamed that's how we get to where we are that's the context I'm staying in the context of the book that we're looking at this letter avoid such people they have the appearance of godliness we're doing the right things but we're denying its power we're afraid of the power we're afraid of Christ, the power of Christ, because we really don't believe. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various persons, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres Mo opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. By the way, quick caveat, they're not opposing us. They're opposing the truth. They're opposing Christ. We're just the ambassador, the face, the presence, speaking the words. They're opposing Christ. And if you remember what Paul was saying earlier with Timothy, share in that suffering. Oppose them. Don't be afraid of it. Oppose them. Verse 9, But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. The folly is based off of worldly wisdom, it's no truth. It's not only no truth, but it's opposite the truth. Verse 10. <clears throat> you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim, my life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lysteria, or Lystra, which persecutions I endured. What is Paul saying here? You've seen me live out the gospel. You've seen it. You've been with me. You've been partnered with me. You were there. You know this is what Paul breathes. This is what Paul lives. This is who he is. This is part of him. This is the example. Follow Paul's example. I endured those persecutions. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who lived all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Take a break. All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Right? Is that what it just said? Like when he says all, does that really mean all or just some? means all. All who try to live a godly life, all who desire that, all who, as Paul had just laid out, how Paul did it through his, his teaching, his conduct, his aim in life, his faith, his patience, love, steadfastness. If this is your life, which, by the way, Paul's an example of what a Christian should look like. If this is your life, what should happen? Starts with a P. Persecution. If you're living the life Paul lived, and he's encouraging Timothy and us to live, what should happen? Persecution. So we have to ask ourselves, 
am I being persecuted for my faith? It's a yes or no question. Since I didn't see chains on anybody coming in today, none of us are severely persecuted. Nobody's bleeding from being whipped. So it's not severe persecution. Well, there's other kinds of persecution. But I have to ask myself, am I really being persecuted for my faith? If not, there's a problem. Because Paul has said repeatedly in this letter, Timothy, persecution will come. It will happen. If you're not being persecuted, Timothy, it's because you're not, verse 10, following his teaching, following his conduct, his aim, or following Christ's conduct, Christ's teaching, Christ, we're not following the gospel. We have chosen to follow irreverent babblings, non-truth. Verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Back to the fanning the flame. If you're a believer, you're not being persecuted, it's because we're believing the vain babblings, the irreverent babblings. We need to repent and be reacquainted with the sacred writings, the word of God, the gospel, that we have heard from youth. Paul was there for Timothy and his youth. Paul knows he heard this. Most of us grew up in the church. I think I was one, I think, when I first went to Vincent. That's a long time ago. We have heard this over and over and over again, yet we walk away and we choose to embrace these irreverent babblings. Verse 16 all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I'm not going to unpack all that. Maybe at another time we'll get into it. Uh, for now, let's just call it levels of discipline. God is going to use the word of God through various means, through speakers, through what you're reading, through what you're hearing, that he is going to use the truth of God's word to correct you. Maybe minor. It may be major. Maybe painful probably will be painful for God's glory. Verse 17, this is the verse that I wanted to focus on and really want to get into your head. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Verse 17, that the, the purpose statement, the reason for everything that, Timothy, that Paul has just said to Timothy. All this so that the man of God so who or what does the man of God look like? When you look in the mirror, do you say, that's what the man of God looks like? I hope not, physically. When you look at your character, who you are when nobody's around, your reaction to things, the way you immediately think. Are you a man of God? Or is it irreverent babblings? The man of God here, his reaction is like that of Paul. It's like Christ. Paul is telling Timothy, fan the flame be in the word, encourage others in the word, be encouraged by others in the word, ignore the irreverent babbling, dismiss them, have nothing to do with them, reject it, focus on the word. That's where our life is. That the man of God may be complete, I think King James says perfect, that the man of God may be full, in need of nothing, have everything we need 
for life and godliness. So it will be equipped for every good work. That does not mean helping the old lady across the street from giant with her groceries. It's not the good works. The good works he's talking about in context is what? Sharing the gospel. Confronting the irreverent babblings. Teaching. Correcting. Doctrine. The gospel. Verse 16 again. All scripture. Not just some. Because there's some I don't like. But it says all scripture is breathed out. Remember that description I gave earlier about breathing out words? Remember God created by speaking? All creation was spoken. This breathing out. I know this is more of an inspired, a special kind of inspiration, but this concept of God, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the very being of God coming out in his breath, getting into his word. This word is alive. It is part of who God is. It's an all-consuming portrait of what he chose to reveal to us. It's breathed out by God, and it's not just used for teaching, but it's profitable for teaching, for those that are hearing and for those that are teaching it, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that you can be a man of God. That you fan the flame... Going back to the previous verse, you fan the flame that's already in there, the spark, the little nugget, the coal, fan it with God's word from others, from God's word itself, so that you may be complete, equipped for every good work, not so that I can be complete, but so that God's word works in me so I can help make you complete. It's a very others-driven. You tracking with me there? It's not for the man of God to be made complete. That'll happen. But it's geared towards others. It's the, it's the teaching. Back to verse 16. And I'm, I'm not even going to get into chapter 14. 14, uh, we'll get into that, or chapter 4. We'll get into that at a later time. <clears throat> so, I'm going to do an experiment. I think I have everybody's cell phone number. Do you have a cell phone, Charlie? I don't think I have yours yet. I have to get your cell phone number. I think I have everybody's cell phone number. I have to be honest with you. This text has been challenging to me. I find 99.9% of the time I am not here. I don't believe this. I sin. I need to be encouraged. I need to be reminded, as Charles did this morning, with the confession of God's promises. So I'm going to text everyone here, probably the same promise to start with. I'm going to text everybody a promise of God this week. Individually. My request is, the experiment is, for you to find another promise, send it back to me. You can, for me, I, I copy-paste everything. Typing and it doesn't work for me. I'm going to copy and paste something and send it to you. You can do that as well. If you want to send me just a reference, uh, John 3.16. Great promise. Maybe some dialogue eventually will begin out of that. When I get a promise back from you, I'm going to be like, whoa, great promise. Guess what I'm going to find? Another promise. You know, maybe I'll get one from Linda. I'm like, oh, that's a cool promise. And Charles will send me a promise. I'm like, oh, Charles, you got to see this one Linda sent. And I'll send him the one Linda sent me. We're going to have promises maybe going back and forth all over the place. Maybe I'll get one. I don't know. But there's, uh, what, maybe 15, 20 people here? It's like 30 days in a month. And a few other people added in. Maybe I'll get a promise every day. And knowing God the way that I do, knowing that he's a sovereign God, I bet 
that when I need a promise the most, all of a sudden, he's not here, Ken, Ken's not here today. All of a sudden, by the way, he's at the Eagles game, so we have to pick on him for all that irreverent babble stuff. Nah, just joking. All of a sudden, I'll get a text from Ken who's going to send me a promise, and it's going to be, wow, that's the promise I need right now. It happens. Has that ever happened with you, Steve? Just out of the blue, you get something from somebody you haven't heard from for a while, and it's like, whoa, that's exactly what I needed right then. Perfect. I mean, that's our God, right? He's a perfect God. His timing is perfect. So I'm going to try that experiment. No pressure. No pressure. If, like, oh, yeah, it's rusty. Yeah, I'll think of something, and you never come back to it. It's not a problem. You may want to say, oh, yeah, I've got to jump on that and do it right away. Cool. It may go on for a week, a month, a year. You may forget, may get distracted. I may lose touch because there's going to be like 30 different people texting me with promises. And did I send this person this promise? I don't want to send you the same promise over and over and over again. Find a different promise. It's not going to be perfect. But you know what it's going to do? Even if it only happens once or twice, it's going to be reminding us of what Paul was just reminding Timothy. There's promises God has made. We've known these scriptures from our childhood. Encourage one another. Build each other up. Avoid the irreverent babble. Cling to God's word. His promises. There's a reason he gave them to us. There's a reason. We need them. Because we forget them. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for today. Thank you for an opportunity to open your word. Thank you for the promise of its power. You've promised that it will be effective. You have promised that it has purpose. You have promised that your word will not return void. That it's going to accomplish what you designed it to accomplish from the beginning of time. Father, as I had said earlier, I believe today is a miracle. Every time your word gets shared, it's a miracle. I believe a miracle is going to happen today. Even if it's only in my heart with my understanding of the text. And, and Father, I, I don't have it perfect. I don't understand it all. I, I have a small human brain. I have a sinful heart. My tongue and lips fail. I, I may even have said the wrong things accidentally today. But Father, we know your spirit is bigger than that. You're more powerful than that. Uh, it's still learning. We still have breath, so we're still learning. Father, I ask that you would forgive us for falling into that trap of irreverent babble, for not believing your promises, for doubting you, for doubting your ability, for minimizing you, just ignoring you. And Father, I pray once again that your word would penetrate our hearts like that two-edged sword, just ripping out what you deem necessary. Father, again, not so that we can brag about who we are, but so we can give you the glory and share in your suffering. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Do you need this, Steve?